distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core, it's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple-track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. So t- t- take me through that process. What was going through your mind and how was, you know, what were you thinking when you were doing all of this? What was going on? I was thinking that it was a time that I uh, stood up to the Chads and Stacys. Okay. And then, and then so what happened? It's a day Torontonians and Canadians will not forget. A crazed killer in a white van rampaging our streets of Young Street, one of the busiest streets in Canada. 10 dead, 16 victims, I came to red light, light turned green, I started to go and next thing you know he was beside me and I watched him jump up onto the sidewalk and start running people over. He's going 60, 70 kilometers on on the sidewalk. Oh wow, I thought somebody had a heart attack in there. Oh my god. Oh my god, it wasn't a heart attack. This person was intentionally doing this. He was killing everybody. A video and a transcript of the police interview with Alec Manassian hours after the deadly attack offers frightening new details. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Toronto Sun columnist Michelle Mandel walks us through Manassian's ties to the incel movement and how it may have played a role in the events of April 2018. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to the show. We're on all your favorite listening platforms, including Apple Podcasts. And if you could, please leave us a rating and a review. So, Michelle, this reporting that you did on Alec Manassi, and a lot of it was based on his statement to police after he was arrested uh, for driving his rented van through a crowd of people on a busy Toronto sidewalk. How do we go about getting this transcript, this video of his interview with police? What had happened is that uh, his his lawyer and the Crown had agreed that there would be a trial uh, before a judge alone. And as soon as that was a decision that was accepted by the judge... We, may, we knew that there would be no jury anymore, and therefore a lot of the rules change at that point. We no longer have to worry about tainting a jury. We don't have to be careful about a lot of the information getting out because uh, a jury is not going to be the one to decide whether he's guilty or not guilty. It's up to a judge, and she can disabuse herself of whatever, um, you know, what we say in, in the media. So we went to court to try and get that statement because we knew that there had been a pretrial motion that involved that interview. And uh, after some legal arguments, because his lawyer had tried to have it banned so that we couldn't use it, the judge agreed that we should be able to publish it. Uh, she put it on a deadline for September 26th because she gave the defense time to talk to its witnesses. And then after that point, we were allowed to publish. For people who haven't taken any time to to watch the video of his interview with police, 
kind of set up for us what's going on in the interview room between Manassian and the detective? So this is uh, about 10.30 at night, and the attack had happened about nine hours earlier. He's under arrest. He's being questioned in a small interview room in a local police station. And he's dressed in a white sort of police issue kind of coverall. And it's one detective, Detective Rob Thomas, who begins to ask him questions. And you see that, you know, he's at the beginning of the interview, he's he's just come from speak to duty counsel, who's obviously told him, you know, don't say anything to the police. So he begins by responding, no, I can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. But after a relatively short period of time, uh, the detective manages to get him to open up and tell him all about what had just happened in a very fulsome sort of four-hour exchange where uh, Manassian is, is, in the end, proudly boasting about what he did and how he had planned it for, for several months, if not years, and um, how he was only, you know, he was proud of what he had accomplished and his only disappointment was that he hadn't been able to kill more people that day. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that uh, this is it. I see all these people. It's uh, time to uh, go for it. Time to go for it. And what do you do? I uh, floor the pedal. Yeah. I speed the van towards them, and I uh, allow the van to uh, collide with them. Okay. And then what happens? Uh, some people get knocked out of the way. Some people roll o- over the top of the van. Okay. And then what? What happens? I uh, continue doing that until, um, in fact, actually, to be honest, the only reason I stopped my attack was because someone's drink got splashed on my uh, windshield, and I was worried that I would uh, crash the van anyway, so I decided, okay, now I I wanted to do more, but I've kind of been foiled by a lack of visibility, so then that's when I uh, pulled, I turned right, and I pulled... What did he say about deciding to use a rental van as opposed to going on a stabbing spree or a, a shooting spree? Why choose a vehicle? I think it, it, it's interesting that he was actually fascinated by weapons, by guns, and he did say that he had, well, we know that he had um, enlisted in the army about uh, earlier that year, but dropped out. I think it was 16 days in. And when the officer asked him, you know, why the army? And he said, well, you know, I really wanted to use how, really wanted to learn how to use weapons, which is frightening in itself. Um, but obviously he didn't and he didn't have any access to weapons. So having, uh, this is a very easy, unfortunately, a very easy weapon, you know, to, to use. We've seen Mm -hmm. it in other terror attacks and he chose a van because he, as opposed to a car or whatever, because he figured that would be the way that he could inflict maximum damage, but still be able to maneuver it properly. Was there anything else about Manassian that we hadn't already suspected or hadn't already known that his interview with the detective revealed to us? Well, it it definitely revealed the depth of his um, commitment to this, you know, involuntary celibate subculture that he had found online. Uh, the fact that he said he was in contact with two uh, American mass murderers. He claims that he was in, in touch with both Elliot Roger and also um, Chris Harper, who were motivated by this incel ideology of rage against women for you know rejecting them and rage against the 
the you know jocks and, and the alpha males who were able to get laid so easily. And we also learned that he felt rejected as a young man because he'd asked a girl out on a date and she she'd laughed at him. And this sort of uh, rejection had built and anger and frustration had been sort of fanned online by like-minded males who said that it was not their own fault, but it was the fault of everyone else in society. And it just, it it was a lot more deep-rooted than I think any of us uh, suspected. Yeah. At some point he, he talks about Chad's and Stacy's. What does that mean to incel culture? So in their lexicon, the chads are those those jocks, the alpha males, you know, the the guys who get get all the girls, and the Stacys. It, it's a derogatory term they use to dismiss women um, who are only interested in looks and not not the the true gentlemen, uh, such as Manassian, who could really you know deserve who really deserve the, their attention and um, and basically you know, having sex with them. So it's, it's the Chad's and Stacey's of the world that they're angry with and want to punish. Did he give any indication in the interview of specifically targeting women when he drove the van up onto the sidewalk? He didn't. I mean, he spoke in general about, you know, how angry he was at the Stacey's, but he was also angry at the Chad's. So, and, Mm -hmm. and he spoke more generally in terms of you know, wanting to have an incel rebellion, a revolt to punish, you know, society and 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 um, overturn the way things are, so that you know women can be forced into being subjugated to to service men like him. It's basically a movement of angry uh, incels such as myself who are unable to get laid. Therefore, we want to overthrow the uh, chads, mm-hmm. which would uh, force the Stacys to be forced to uh, reproduce with the incels. Right, right. Okay. When you say incels... So he didn't say, oh, I went out, you know, that day and I was specifically targeting women. But uh, as we know, out of the 10 people who were killed, eight were women. So Mm -hmm. you have to wonder. Now, earlier you mentioned that that he was kind of fascinated with terror attacks as well as the incel martyr, I guess it is, uh, Elliot Roger. Is it safe to call incels a terror movement of sorts? I think you can certainly make that argument. I, I think there are, like, like any group, I think there's there's streams within it. So I think that there are people who just like go go online and just want to complain about you know their lack of of success with women. But then there's this whole other part of it that takes it to this extreme where it's it's more of a philosophy of life, and and they believe that you know, that gives them the justification to, you know, hurt other people, to, to overturn society and, and, and make remake it in, in their likeness. And in that way, I mean, it's very much a terrorist organization in that they believe that they have the right to go out and inflict pain and suffering on other people. And, uh, and it's motivated by a, a ideology as much as as crazy as it seems to the rest of us, and it, you know, I would argue that it is, that's what they're, they're operating under. All right. And they even, you know, after attacks like this, uh, adherence to this belief system 
go online and celebrate the acts of these people, um, just like certain groups do after there may be a terrorist attack that's inspired by ISIS. ISIS supporters will go on social media and on their own uh, internet sites and praise the people who are involved in these attacks, right? Exactly. And also, um, when he was, uh, he, he talks about how he was hoping to inspire others to follow his lead and actually went on 4chan the day before and cryptically told people what he was about to do. And then all, on that day, as we know, he, he, uh, posted on Facebook, you know, the incel rebellion is, is, has begun. He saw himself as the leader of this, this organization, a leader of this philosophy. Others were too cowardly to act on, on their beliefs, but he was, you know, he was brave enough to do so and wanted others to follow in his footsteps. Now, you cover courts, uh, justice issue, crime uh, for the Toronto Sun. You've been writing on it for a number of years. I imagine you cover a lot of disturbing cases. This very public, very brutal attack seems to even go beyond what you may cover on a daily basis. As someone who's immersed in in covering this beat, what did you make of the video, and what did you make of Manassian uh, himself? I I have to say that I was quite surprised by by both by him and the video. In most cases, when we see when we see these police interrogations, it's usually a suspect who's denying having anything to do with you know what they're being accused of. It's very unusual to to see somebody basically confess on tape, and not only confess, but uh, he was so calm, so matter of fact about this heinous crime. I mean, it was just hours later, you know, 26 people were run down, 10 people were killed. People were in hospital fighting for their lives. The city was terrorized. The sidewalks were bloody. The, um, you know, first, first responders were like horrified witnesses who were just, you know, on the scene had rushed to help. And it was just such a traumatic event. And he was calm, cool, and proud of what he had just done. And it was just chilling. I feel like uh, I accomplished my mission. What about, what did you make of the police detective, uh, Rob Thomas, who was interrogating him? How do you think he handled uh, getting a confession out of Manassian? I think he was brilliant. I think that he did such an incredible job. And it, it's it's amazing to watch. I, I think that he is... Um, he is, you know, one of their best interrogators. He does. He's uh, trained on polygraph. He came across relaxed, uh, open, friendly, respectful, very much, you know, putting uh, Alec Manassian at ease. And I think that, you know, he he seemed very interested. In, well, tell me more about this, you know, in philosophy. I don't really understand. Can you, you know, can you expand on that? And and just the way he did it was not. There was no judgment in in what he was questioning. Um, I, I've done a little bit of um, uh, reading, and I know a little bit about um, involuntary uh, celibacy. Celibacy, right? So being celibate, involuntarily yes. celibate. What does that mean? That means an celibacy means uh, uh, someone who never. Before it has a sexual intercourse. Right. Uh, involuntary celibacy means this wasn't your choice. I you see. essentially are uh, have been thrown into true force. He was very open to whatever he was saying, and I think that drew Manassian more and more into confiding, you know, all of his all of his beliefs and all of his actions. Now, when you say that he was calm and cool, 
and proud of himself. At any point, did he appear excited or agitated or angry about anything that he had done? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. The only thing, like I said, his only regret was that, um, well, he had a couple of regrets. He he had um, anticipated that it would end by a suicide by cop. So he wanted to be killed by police, go out like a martyr, um, just like Elliot Roger had done. And, uh, well, Elliot Rogers sort of had committed suicide as he was being um, sort of cornered by police. Manassian was hoping that he would be shot by police and had actually even pretended that he had a gun in his pocket, you know, hoping that the, the officer would shoot him. So that was one of his major regrets. And the other one, like I said, was that, you know, he had hoped to kill more, but, you know, in terms of running down these people, uh, a drink had splashed on his windshield and he could no longer see properly. So he, he, and he, he could hear the siren. So he knew it was time to stop and, and give himself up. So in terms of agitation, no, not at all. You mentioned Elliot Roger a couple of times. He, uh shot a number of people. He had intended to go to a, a sorority or fraternity party at a university in the United States. And then he killed, I believe it was six people, right? I think that's the number. And it was, yeah, it was a combination of, um, he actually used his vehicle. He also, uh, I believe stabbed some people. He had, you know, he was heading to a sorority. So he was definitely specifically targeting women and uh, couldn't couldn't get in, and then you know sort of went off plan and just started killing whoever came across his path at that point. Now, Manassian's trial is expected to go to court in uh, early 2020. I understand that his defense may be considering a uh, not criminally responsible defense. What does that entail? So, what it, it's a high legal bar where um, you have to prove it's up to the defense to prove to the court that at the time of the crime, the person was suffering from a mental disorder and not only suffering from a mental disorder, that it was serious enough or debilitating um, in such a way that they couldn't understand the nature of what they were doing or didn't understand that it was uh, morally and legally wrong. So it's not just, you know, somebody who... Like, for example, we understand that um, Manassian has... uh, autism spectrum disorder. Um, mm-hmm. His mother has, called, has said that, you know, he had Asperger's. That in itself might be, some people would might consider that a mental disorder. That's another area of controversy. But even if it were a mental disorder, that that's not in, uh, in and of itself enough to reach a not criminally responsible bar. It would have to be that he was, you know, out of touch with reality. He was, uh, he was under the influence of like some kind of psychotic break um, people that usually successfully have NCR defenses are people who are schizophrenic or uh-huh. psychotic, having hearing voices, um, that kind of thing that were at the time of, of the crime don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. And based on your view of the video, it doesn't appear as though he didn't understand right from wrong or was under the condition of a, of a severe mental disorder. No, and I, obviously I'm not an expert. I'm yeah. not a psychiatrist, and and uh, I'm not a legal expert. But but no, from a layman's point of view, looking at him and listening to him, it doesn't appear to me, anyways, that that he could argue that successfully. Uh, we actually did uh, consult a forensic psychologist who also, you know, was privy to some of the quotes, and and he also, you know, 
said that from 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 what he could tell, anyways. But um, but he also hadn't examined him, and we don't know whether there is some kind of underlying mental disease that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So it it will be very very interesting to see what what his defense lawyer present when it comes to trial in February. Well, it will definitely be a trial that will capture a lot of attention across the country. Michelle, thanks for your time. My pleasure. 103 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Michelle Mandel, more from her at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>